That's me. Whoa. It's got three triangular lights. Yes, I have. Well, if there's a good thing, <laughs> it's rotating. It's extremely quiet. It's definitely not an airplane or a helicopter. No, it's definitely not. No, no, it's definitely not an airplane or a helicopter. This is Radio Owl's Nest, and you know what that means, don't you? There is so much to dig into. There certainly is. There's a lot of demos to play, and I want to reveal myself. Yo, whatever that is, that's huge. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I take that as a great compliment. Anyway, we're back! It is a fact that human consciousness can affect machinery. Yes, yes, it's true. I just sit here and I just think these songs and the machinery works. I mean, it's a revelation, but it's true. Just think, these dreams. I was dreaming it. Just dreaming it. It's fascinating, isn't it? Well, that's what Radio Owlsness is all about. And here we are, back again, you poor sods. Let us hear what you have to say. Your time starts now. Please make your way to the podium. <laughs> OK, I will. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't expect that. Thank you. <laughs> ah, after three years. Thank you very much. Okay. Okay. You'd expect to get an award or something instead of just hand clapping. Three years of Owl's Nest. You'd think you'd get more than just, you know. But I suppose it's better than a raspberry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, I'm back. And you know what the show's about. If you've at all tuned in over these long, long months and years, um, it's about my demos. Uh, I'm a songwriter. <laughs> so well, well I, I, I like to think I am, anyway. I, I do my best. This is a songwriter's podcast, believe it or not. And I play some of the songs from my past. Um, things that I didn't even know I wrote. Collaborations, um, different versions of songs, actually new songs as well, and experiments. All sorts of stuff. Uh, Radio Owl's Nest, the songwriter's podcast, is back. And this is Pagey. <coughs> I get no respect. No respect at all. I don't expect to get any respect. But I'm going to play you some music anyway. I'm going to have no mercy on you. You are here for the duration so let's get to it this is a very unusual track to play you white, boy. white boys in chains uh, this is a track white yes okay white boys a track i wrote with bernie Torpin just before he did his solo album and uh, we we did this demo it became uh, eventually a b-side to one of his singles check it out white boys in chains Grab you. White, white 
strange oddity to start the proceedings with white boys in chains i hadn't heard this for eons um when i first got with bernie Taupin, and after we wrote we built the city in these dreams and had some success um bernie said i'm gonna make an album and you should produce it and we should write the songs together and uh, the first two demos we did um was were songs called white boys in chains this one and a song called backbone and i'll probably get a chance to play that to you later on um and it's really fascinating to listen to because uh, this was the real raw demo of what we did to take to RCA Records uh, with another song called Corrugated Iron, actually, I'm now remembering, which uh, actually made it onto Bernie's album Tribe. And uh, RCA, after hearing those three songs, uh, signed Bernie and he put out the album Tribe and I produced it. And it was a, it was a buzz to find this track. <laughs> That's the demo. Um, That's Bernie singing and me doing background vocals and all the keyboards and Brian Fairweather, my partner, playing guitar. Bill Bottrell helped us do the track. He engineered it. Uh, Bill Bottrell went on to do some fantastic work with Sheryl Crow and Michael Jackson. And um, he's uh, one of those engineers that really gets, shall I say, bollocks and balls into his mixes. I really like uh, how he goes for the raw uh, fire and energy. Uh, If you listen to Corrugated Iron on the album Tribe, that's uh, a mix by Bill Bottrell, and it's got that primitive, I think, an organic feel. So that's uh, (laughs) a very interesting way to uh, start uh, this show. I'm sure Bernie's going to shoot me uh, through the back of the head when he knows that I've played this. Uh, P.S. You can hear that uh, we had that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Really. Again, I didn't expect that. I mean, maybe, yeah, you must have enjoyed that first Archbishop, thank you. And you were admirable hey? in your timing. I didn't have to do this what? at all to uh, tell you that uh, you were coming What the, the end f- is that time. about? I mean, Archbishop, well, I don't know. Uh, moving on. I was going to say to you, listen to the bass. I'm playing the bass there with a pick. And it was a time of the police, wasn't it? There's a bit of a police vibe going on there. Anyway, we shall move on. This is the demo I wrote and recorded with Paul Young. <laughs> track called Right About Now. This is the demo, 16-track demo. Yeah, Paul. And this track went on to his album called Other Voices. Right About Now. I see the city through my window tonight. She smiles and throws a
the demo of a song called Right About Now that um, I wrote in 1990 and it went uh, with Paul Young and it went on to an album called Other Voices, it became a gold album and it was a, I got a lot of memories about that period because after doing the demo and a couple of other songs, uh, uh, Our Time Has Come and a song called Together also made it onto that record. Paul f- flew me over and um, Warren Livesey was producing the album in London and I just helped um, with all the little things that uh, I did on the demo with the record and it was a lot of fun and uh, as I said, I think I've said many times in the past, uh, writing with Paul was a real thrill and um, we still talk now. Um, believe it or not, not he still talks to me can you believe that no it's uh, miracles would never cease um and uh that demo that demo always feels good to me uh mushan taylor a wonderful female singer um also did some of the background vocals there and uh Mashan is in New York now teaching and everything, and she should be. And she toured with uh, uh, Pink Floyd and uh, I think I think Sting. Um, much, much, much higher grade than working with me back then in the 90s. My doctor has been on my case about my high blood pressure for years. You need radio hours now. Until he finally had enough and placed me on meds to control everything. You need radio hours But next. I couldn't take the side effects. Of course. They made me tired and fatigued most days of the week. Of course. I didn't have the energy to keep up anymore. Well, how could you? Then I read something that even with the meds, mm-hmm. high blood pressure could still inflict mm-hmm. damage yeah. on my body. It can. While not even taking care of my heart. Of course. That was until I found this. Radio Owl's Nest. And now my blood pressure has been controlled oh. 100% oh. naturally. The side effects are gone. <laughs> my heart is safe and I'm hopeful for the future. You should be. Radio House Nest is a healing show. And there's nothing like Celtic romantic music to bring the old blood pressure way down. This is a song called Half Penny Bridge, a demo that I released on an album called The Poetry of Collisions Volume 2, A Ghost Story. Yeah. 
river's frozen under Halfpenny Bridge To hold you one more time of what I'd give Cause I still love you just the way I did And I know that someday we'll walk together been a joy to uh, release a couple of albums actually volume one and volume two of the poetry of collisions which are just random demos uh, from my radio shows that we've done over all these years and uh, volume two which this song is on half penny bridge has 30 songs on it i suppose you would say that's a triple album and uh, reminds me of uh, all things must pass by george harrison um a, a triple albums were very rare back then um nowadays with streaming you can put three thousand 221 and a half on uh, but I chose the 30 that I've been playing on these radio shows Halfpenny Bridge there, nice to play that again and uh, made me realise that I was playing a quite interesting reggae uh, bass pattern there which was, um, I'd forgotten that I put that kind of vibe into that track so um, nice to play a ghost story, Halfpenny Bridge good for your blood pressure So how does an owl's extraordinary hearing work? <laughs> You've all probably been wondering. Yes, we are the owl heads. Some owls have ear tufts. I have that. But these feathers aren't used for hearing. Well, I have things in my ear, you know, hair. They're more about communicating mood. Well, we are emotional owl heads. Mm. In fact, the owl's whole head is designed for listening. I knew it. I knew it. We are the elite listeners. We owl heads. We know good music. Its distinctive round face is shaped like a satellite dish. Well... Specifically to detect sound. Well, I'm, my nose is big. It's like a beak, actually. A ring of stiff feathers channel the sound towards the true ears. I have stiff legs, arthritis. Which are hidden at the side of the face. But my legs are on the side of my face. But I suppose... I've done yoga, and I've tried it, but never been the same. Some species of owl have one ear opening higher than the other. That, that is weird. Really weird. That is... It's got to be weird. This unique adaptation mm. allows the owl to work out what height a sound is coming from. Well, As I'm, well as the direction. I'm six foot two, and I'm stood to the right at the moment. Sound mark. arriving at the left ear before it reaches the right mm. tells the owl it's coming from below. No, no, it's stereo. It tells it it's stereo, not quadrophenia. Stereo. Not 5.1, stereo. That's what it does. It's obvious. At certain frequencies, an owl's hearing is ten times more sensitive than ours. Wow! 
There ends your owl lesson for the month. Keep notes. Now, this is good for me to hear. Um, you know, I don't really care sometimes if it's good for you. But for me, I have to sometimes find some demos here that I'm intrigued about and I've never heard for the longest time. This is one such demo. It's a song called I Just Keep On Waiting. Now, it, I can't really quite remember writing this with Brian Fairweather back in the uh, in the 70s late 70s um, when I was living in London Ockenden Road Brian and I wanted to be songwriters we just signed to Zomba Publishing Jive Records and we were really influenced by artists like um, Gino Vanelli, Rufus, Hall and & Oates and we were writing a lot of songs like that as well as our strange techno rock for Q feel now, one song we wrote was called I Just Keep On Waiting. We did it on a four-track, a little T-Act four-track, um, played it to my publisher, and my publisher, uh, Clive Calder and Ralph Simon at, at Zomba in London, they said, Some, somewhere down the line, we've got to do a really good demo of this. And they got Tim Freescreen, uh, the producer that was known for the later years, working with Talk Talk, and he was a keyboard player in that band. and did a lot of esoteric stuff. Well, in the early years, he was like a just a main producer for Jive Records, and um, they went and did a demo with him. He arranged it. He did everything. Very clever lad. And Stevie Lang, um, great vocalist, um, she had sung on some of our other demos we'd done at Jive. She sang this song. And Tim Freescreen brought in all these really classy musicians in London. Not us. He, <laughs> he ignored us for this one, although he used us for sessions later on. Um, and, and so he brought. He made a demo which sounded really, really good to us. American. Um, I don't think we got a cut on it. It was our early days. We were trying to get cuts in America. And we had Red Light Zone, a B-side to a Q-Fill record, on hold for Manhattan Transfer. And that, to us, was like God had spoken. We were getting our first cut. But uh, Zomba Publishing had their own studios, Battery Studios. And they did this demo of this song. And I'm going to play it to you now. And it's rare. I have to, I've said that word for <laughs> millions of times on these shows. But um, I only just found this. It's an analog copy, a uh, quarter-inch analog. And so it's a bit rough. But you can hear that it, um, Brian and I, as songwriters, were really looking at those chordal progressions and those songs that uh, Chaka Khan might have sung with Rufus. Very Gino Vanelli, um as I said before. So let me play the, play you this demo. It's good for me to hear. Uh, this is why I enjoy these shows. I think, well, maybe they won't enjoy it, but I need to hear something I haven't heard for a while. So here we are. The demo, uh, written by Fairweather Page, I Just Keep On Waiting.
that's a demo for the 70s. Uh, I just keep on waiting, written by Fairweather Page, Brian Fairweather, and me. And I'm pretty pleased with my lyrics, really. I think I was studying a lot of that music at that time. Champagne, Pablo Cruz, Pointer Sisters, and Gino Vanelli, I keep saying that. And what a demo, really. It was a 24-track analog demo done in battery studios by tim free screen stevie lang i mean what a vocalist for for me and brian we'd have thought that sounds like a cut for us already <laughs> that some professional musicians are playing our songs uh, mini moog there you know uh, they they no expense spared um a sitar kind of solo now you remember in those r&b records from the west coast particularly around that time 70s you had the uh, the sitar would appear sometimes for these uh, solos I'm very, very pleased with our chord progression again as well in those early days for me and Brian. So that's a, a, I use this word a thousand times, but that is a rarity, a rarity for me to to hear and to discover as well. Um, That's a demo from the, yes, the 70s, the era of deep analog recording R&B West Coast soul songs from Fairweather Page. I just keep on waiting find ourselves reflecting on mm. are we alone in the universe what know. is the nature of god yeah. how did life on earth begin i don't know that's a bit bloody heavy no, no, let's not go there but let's go here some time ago a long time ago back in the dark ages i used to do a quiz and um some people used to like it but they've been locked up and uh, taken out of society um Sorry, sorry, but it is the truth. Um, But um, since um, that quiz sort of vanished into the mist, I thought it might be quite a good idea to sometimes bring up some things about me that you might not want to know, but bollocks, I'm going to tell you anyway. And I thought a good subject would be I'm a bass player, but who influenced me when I was a kid and I was learning? Who were the players that turned me on? Who did I study? Um, I'm sure none of you know that answer or are at all interested but i i'm going to tell you anyway when i fell in love with the bass guitar all i did was buy records 45s and 12 inches and uh, albums galore and i learned to play bass by ear by just playing these records putting the needle on playing a few bars taking it off i mean it, it was uh, very tedious but you played with all these different bands to me because if you played a record by cameo and you played the bass you in the band if you played the bass to a yes record you're in yes if you played to the who you're in who the rolling stones the beatles you were the bass player because you were putting on these records and you were playing along to them by ear and you had to learn and listen really really hard to how these bass players played what the notes were they weren't always right but they were very close uh, to what your ear was telling you harmonically the tuning on the bass was referring to the only bad time was when they sped a record up when they were mixing it and then your tuning went out and you had to really wibble and wobble of the old keys to get that right but there were a few bass players when i was learning that i absolutely loved and worshipped and listened to what they played and whenever they played i bought their records and i studied everything now um i got into playing bass playing really because i was in america as a young lad with my father when he was working at the air bases so i heard a lot of soul music and funk music and um 
So back then, it was like Larry Graham, um, who was playing with Slana Family Stone, one of the, the possibly the, the the bass player who first um, discovered slapping the bass, which sounded like a drum to him, like an extra snare beat. Then there was Louis Johnson, the Brothers Johnson, making those great records produced by Quincy uh, Quincy Jones and Bootsy Collins, Bootsy who came through James Brown's band and then went into Parliament and Funkadelic and his own Bootsy rubber band i just played along to them because i knew there was something really special going on with rhythmically of course then it led me to stanley clark the great jazz player and i learned school days and all his albums as well as best as i could and he had such an original uh, way of playing the bass and of course that came along jacko pastorius uh, nothing you can say about jacko um more than just brilliant and um, exceptional and uh, of another planet and that's what led me to plan trying to play fretless bass but around um, all those black bass players and R&B players I also fell in love with in the early years um, white bass players that were playing rock and progressive rock and that being um, Mike Rutherford with Genesis, Mike Rutherford, and of course Chris Squire um, with the Yes, and so I was listening to that as well. And pick players, they played with a pick. While when I was listening to black music, we were playing basically with fingerstyle. Um, and of course, I loved Elton John's bass player, uh, and I think he's massively underrated. D. Murray. I mean, to play along with Elton, and uh, you're dealing with a piano player who's playing a low-end piano, be so melodic and so in touch with what those chords were and how to leave the gap. So D. Murray influenced me big time. And I, you know, the Beatles, Paul McCartney, Maxwell Silverhammer. <laughs> I remember listening to the bass of that and going, that is really clever. Everything that Paul played, I think, was so melodic. Um, so obviously the Beatles were doing that for me as well. And of course, The Who. We had a brilliant, brilliant bass player with uh, John Entwistle. Uh, I don't think people really realise what John Entwistle was doing. These are all the artists that I absolutely adored when I was young. Um, Ronald LaPrey with the Commodores and Pops Popwell with the Crusaders. Um, with a name like Pops Popwell, you know he's going to be popping. But I would buy these records um, and learn um, to play along to them. Uh, Put the needle on for two bars, taking it off on vinyl on a hi-fi system. Putting it on for four bars, taking it off. And then you had to have memory sense. Memory sense that you remembered the whole song all the way through. Um, I remember learning Quadrophenia, one whole side of it, and playing it all the way through and not stopping. And that meant a lot to me for my memory, you know, because um, when I joined bands as a bass player, it's all about memory. All about being able to... Um, remember sections and keys and chord sequences so a lot of it to me was memory never reading never reading like Paul McCartney purely from from ear and I mustn't forget the reggae players I mean Bob Marley um, Catch a Fire that album reggae bass players all reggae all reggae absolutely um, attracted me and so um, there ends uh, <laughs> My story of being a bass player and my influences. Um, not really a quiz, but um, hopefully you found it a little bit interesting because we all start somewhere. And for me, it was the low end of records. Motown as well. We must mention low Motown records. Their bass was so fantastic on all their hits. 
And for me, as a kid growing up and dancing in Southampton in the top rank suite and trying to find girls and club music, music really influenced me, but it was the dance music and the bottom lower end of records that really touched me. I felt, what is that heartbeat that really is giving uh, harmonic resonance to all these records? And me being over six foot two, a big bass guitar with four strings on, ah, (laughs) bliss. Well, this is a songwriter's podcast. I don't always play you things that are finished. (laughs) This is right back in the 90s. I was developing a track that I never finished called Bone Digger. I'll play you the rough anyway. It's a Friday night, cool snake bite. I'll fishnet your dress so tight. Your dress so tight, uh-huh. 
When you bite my soul. Bone digger! I want to dig into your bones. In the 90s, I used to just be writing absolutely at high speed. People were coming in, people were leaving, and I would just be jamming. And uh, I remember uh, doing this track, now I can recall, and I never even played it to my publisher because I never really quite finished it. And uh, as I dig now into the vault, into the suitcase, into the depths, I found this track called Bone Digger, and it reminded me that I was experimenting with those kind of words that you would get from Mark Bolan, and sometimes Bernie even, Bernie Torpen, where it had that kind of be Bebop Deluxe and kind of throwaway rock and roll uh, sounds, the feel, the, wor- the words, the electricity of the words. David Bowie even, a lot of experimentation. But I thought, we need horns on this track anyway. And um, I think I glanced at a poem, uh, or it might have been a Paul Simon song, and I saw the word bone digger and i thought that's quite cool anyway it's a songwriters podcast um i haven't played that to myself since the 90s um so there's a raw one for you now what does radio owls nest mean to you i really enjoy doing this morning ritual every day to help keep my high blood pressure under control lovely, but lovely. what i love best about it is 100 natural it is which means it's healthy and i love what it does for me too it gives Good. me energy it gives me stamina <laughs> I love what it's doing for my circulation Absolutely. as well. The future Good. looks bright, and I'm yep. going to keep doing this morning ritual every day to help Good. keep my high blood Good. pressure in check and my overall heart health perfect. <laughs> Radio Owl's Nest, it's going to keep you... <laughs> I nearly said effed up, but uh, it's going to keep you healthy, I suppose. I suppose. I suppose. it keep your blood pressure... I suppose. It may do. I'm not sure. But to be honest, I think it's going to really bugger you up. <laughs> Here's a song called Samatva, Soldier of Peace, from my instrumental album, released in 2021, The Occupation of Hope.
Samatva, soldier of peace, a lot to do with the great teachings of Gandhi. And from an album of mine from 2021, an instrumental album called The Occupation of Hope. I do these instrumental records and around the edges of writing songs and I get lost really in total experimentation and in a way digging into areas of my creativity that I never would have as a younger man. So you get a chance to do this and I didn't want to miss that chance. Uh, Particularly with this track, I was playing with all the um, old analog keyboards and analog drum machines as well as a lot of the virtual uh, uh, keyboards that you get through uh, Pro Tools and digital recording Uh, one called reactor was a big help Uh, battery the drum machines uh, helped as well because a lot of lot of veteran uh, drum machines on that uh, particular uh, patch and omnisphere uh, was also involved i'm saying this because a lot of you guys are working with um, virtual keyboards uh, in your computer and also a, a, a massive it was called massive native massive that was very good as well so it's a conglomeration of analog veteran uh, machines working with yes today's digital virtual machines that's samatha soldier of peace Now, we're coming to the end of the show, and it's a pretty special uh, thing I want to do here. Um, I lost a great, great, great friend in uh, January of 2022. Um, That was the great songwriter, John Lind. And I want to play a song that um, he helped me and Brian Fairweather write when I first came to America. And he actually sang the song, and uh, he developed it with us. Now, John... um, John Lind was just an amazing songwriter. And if you take a second to look at his history and what he achieved, you're going to see it all there. Um, But what I remember about John was um, that my manager, Diane Poncha, based here in Los Angeles uh, with Cavallo, Ruffalo, Farnoli, the management company for Earth, Wind & Fire, when I was in London with Brian trying to uh, be a songwriter and start Q-Phil, she would send to me demos by John Lind, which were amazing and really educated Brian and, uh, and I on what the West Coast sound was and how great writers like John made their demos. And then when I came to America with Brian, uh, John was the first uh, songwriter that, with great humility and warmth, uh, welcomed me and Brian uh, into his fold. And uh, we wrote songs together, and there couldn't have been a better education with a better man. His humour, uh, coming from New York, dry and cynical and wonderful, 
and our humour mixed together. Yes, you can imagine. We just laughed our asses off as as we wrote. John's a very, very sparky guy, very serious about his music, as I was. And um, we were both highly en- energised to do our job to write songs. But around that was great humour and great, um, in fact, love uh, for writing songs. Uh, we did things together, went to Disneyland together, did all these great things uh, and wrote a few songs. Wrote Touch for Earth, Wind and Fire with John. Uh, a single for Earth, Wind and Fire when I first came to America. Night, uh, Night Creatures for Melissa Manchester and a number of other cuts really uh, we got together. And, um, you know, it broke my heart when we lost him at a very, very early stage, uh, I think. He should have been around for a much longer But let me tell you about this song I'm going to play you the first time. Now, this is a songwriter's kind of thing because me and Brian had written a lot of the song when we arrived. But we thought, hey, we're about to be with John Lind. Wouldn't it be great if we opened this song up that we're writing to John and he'll play it to other Americans? And uh, John's got a great communication with other producers. So let's open the song up. And we were writing this song the first time back in England in the way of Chicago and great American ballads and how maybe Toto would record a great ballad, but a real musical ballad. John heard us play the track. We, we opened up a verse for him to help us with melodically and a few lyrics. It was a secret way of us um, getting an American uh, writer involved with us. And he liked the song. And... Um, it's, it was the lyrics were based around um, from a female per, uh, perception. So and John had this incredibly terrific voice. I mean, he had a falsetto which you know was just warm, rich, but also had femininity and uh, manliness in there as well. It was a real brilliant mixture, and it was quite a rangy song. And I thought John would p- portray this really well. So John agreed. He got involved with this song the first time and he arranged to go to a studio in the valley. (coughs) Excuse me. That's the incense burning. Um, And it was a friend of his, Gary Malibur, who was the drummer for Steve Miller. And Gary Malibur had an eight track studio in his garage. Garage, we should say, probably for the Americans. Garage, garage. Um, And we went across to to this studio and recorded three songs in one day. One afternoon, and one of these was the first time. And uh, John played Fender Rhodes, the chords. I played the bass and a little bit of keyboards, like a synthesizer. And Brian played lovely guitar, brilliant guitar. We did all the backgrounds together, and uh, it was a great experience. Just an eight track, some you know. So we're talking right back in the eighties here. And um, the story about this song is that eventually we sent it to our publisher in England, and he thought it was great. They thought it was great, and they put it forward for the Eurovision Song Contest. Now, and it went right through to the final ten. We even got certificates saying you're in the final ten of the Eurovision Song Contest. Now we've been in there before with Dancing in Heaven, so this was our second uh, <laughs> second success. But. Uh, the rules say you can't have an American uh, writer on the songs for Eurovision Song Contest. So very near to the show, the BBC TV show, uh, we were disqualified <laughs> for bringing John into the song. But um, it was worth it uh, because we had the experience and I had the experience of getting very, very close to John. Now, John had uh, you know, written with Maurice White and Earth, Wind of Fire and so many brilliant acts in his, in his career. So I really felt like I was soaking up from him what it was to 
be um, a successful songwriter. Also at that time of the 80s, uh, Brian and I were with QPhil. It was times of drum machines, synthesizers and samplers. So John was very fascinated by that. And I think he was really interested in how we wrote our songs. And... Um, uh, and we were fascinated how he wrote his song, so it was great to get together. Um, I'll say a little bit more about the track after, but anyway, this is John Lind singing on um, one of the most seminal tracks for Brian and I when we first came to America on an eight-track demo of a song called The First Time.
it's taken me a long time to want to talk about John this way. Um, and uh, when I found the first time again from the demo box, I thought this is the right time for me to uh, portray what that man meant to me. Um, not only a great friend, um, he grew up in many different bands playing in, uh, in the early 70s, even worked with Lowell George from Little Feet, etc. And he wrote the songs, you know, Crazy For You, Madonna, number one, and Save The Best For Last, Vanessa Williams, Grammy-nominated song, number one again, and, of course, Boogie Wonderland um, for Earth, Wind & Fire, with hundreds of other tracks. John Lind um, was the epitome of the professional songwriter, but with um, great warmth and welcoming to everybody that was creative. I remember, uh, as I'm talking about him now, that once we, whenever we met, his eyes lit up and his total fire spark, and mine lit up as well. And he um, used to, whenever he heard a song that he liked or a moment he liked, if I played him something that he thought was good, he'd say, oh, look at my arm, look at my neck, look at my arm. The hairs are standing up. And, and whenever he sold a song, just like me, he'd act the whole song out. You know, he'd be moving his arms, moving his legs, dancing. Just like me, I'd have to do a theatrical performance just to make sure that everybody understood the potential of a song. Um, <laughs> We were, I got a laugh because I can see him now. Uh, I think he sold a song even more exciting than I did, which was pretty, pretty, pretty hard to do. Um, John Lind um, and the demo here, first time. A lovely way to remember my great and soulful friend, John Lind. And I can't think of a better way to finish today's show. I hope you enjoyed this extravaganza of my noises. And um, you'll join me again for another Radio Owl's Nest down the line. If I haven't disturbed your mind or your blood pressure. Uh, stay positive. Look after all the innocent animals in the world. I always say it. We have dominion over them. It's our job to care for those animals. Sending you lots of love from... In the Owl's Nest. I will see you again very soon. Keep your blood pressure down. Come on.